Coming to you from the Underground Studio, this is the Sipping Social Podcast. My name is Mike Carl. I'm here with my boy and certified bourbon steward, Garrett Turnquist. Yo. We also have our stellar producer on the mic, Johnny. Say what up. What's up? We're here to dive into all aspects of the restaurant industry. We truly love what we do and more so we love talking about it. We're going to pour, sample, review anything you need to know about. Pour yourself a cocktail and join us on this journey. Let's Let's go. go. All right, we got podcast number 22, fellas. 22. Deuce, deuce. It's, it's yeah. very exciting. We're sitting here with Joe Henry from J. Henry and Sons. What's up? Thank you for joining Happy us. Happy to be here, man. Taking time out of your day, man. We know you're busy. Oh, man. This is the best part of my day. Awesome. <laughs> he was telling me his schedule over like a six-week span. He's got something going on every single night. It's incredible. <laughs> We've got like three employees. It's like me, my mom, and my dad. That's great, man. That sounds so great. That's incredible. Thank you for bringing this plethora of booze that is sitting in front of us. I know oh, yeah. for all you listeners, you can't see it, but there's like 12 bottles sitting in front of me. <laughs> you should have seen his trunk. That's great. It was weighed down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, has a, he has a Jeep and it's a lowrider. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's suspension on it. <laughs> nice. What, uh, what are we sipping on, fellas, to start the podcast? Johnny, what you got? Uh, it's the Maker's Mark R19 that just came out, limited release. <laughs> is it R19? I've never heard of the R19 Isn't before. it R19? But there's an RC. Six, oh, I was thinking 2019 <laughs> RC6. Yeah, we'll edit that out. That sounds <laughs> so really good. It's really good. I'm sipping on it too. It's tasty. Yeah, uh, it's great. Here, what do you got? <laughs> I have the uh, Eagle Rare 10 year delish. I was allowed to have a pour of that's that. The, that's oh, wow. the askable shelf, yeah. right? Yeah, we learned about that when we got here earlier. What's sipping the social? unaskable shelf? That's the window. Yeah, yeah, it's in the window. The windowsill. All the <laughs> unopened <laughs> stuff. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Joe, what are you drinking? I'm drinking the same thing as you. Nice, nice. How you liking it? It's awesome, man. Beautiful. Let's have a cheers. Cheers, boys. Beautiful. All right, guys, check out our Instagram page. Check out our Facebook page. Garrett put out a great picture from our Crystal Lake excursion. That's where it was, right? Yeah, absolutely. A great picture. He's really proud of it. Go on there and like that post. He loves it. That would really make him happy. It's the best picture I've ever taken in my life, next to the one of Mike cleaning the <laughs> fermenter. We don't need to bring that up. I want to see both of them. Yeah, we'll show it, we'll show it later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, just the, it's just the barrel, the bourbon barrel stout that we picked from right, Crystal Lake that we talked about last podcast. Right. So check that post out. Like that picture. Also check out our YouTube page. Johnny, what's going on with that right now? Well, we're still trying to get all of our videos up there, but the internet takes forever to upload videos to YouTube. So it's just taking us a long ass time. So we'll get them up there. So keep checking it out. Keep checking it out. I know uh, some of you guys are more visual than uh, audio folks uh, which is fine they're showers not listeners there you go perfect (laughs) (laughs) we got some restaurant news in the area john and i were in the city this past weekend we went to a great new cocktail bar in wicker park called neon wilderness it's awesome you've been there yeah it's great isn't it cool atmosphere great Great atmosphere. i just looked them up i had no idea you were going there seriously yeah we were there for like two and a half hours met the owner the guy was awesome his name is brad it's my neighborhood man really yeah great whiskey list yeah it's awesome great cocktails and not expensive the M10 Rye was twenty dollars a pour. That and blows out a lot of places. Twenty, in twenty pour. <laughs> yeah, that's not terrible. That's yeah, great. That's great. That's actually that's cheaper than anywhere else I've seen it. That's what I'm talking about. It's cheaper than the distillery when we were there. Exactly. You know, it was one of the last bars we were at, but I don't really remember what this guy poured us. But it was like the old Bardstown bottled and bond. Yeah, it's the hundred proof. You can only get it in Kentucky. He poured it out for us. Oh yeah. So we've done that whiskey before, but just not the bottled and bond version. 
Yeah. We did the Bardstown 90 yep. proof. And that's the 100 bottled bond. Oh. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. So they don't distribute that outside of the state? Outside of their distillery. Oh. So he had it on his back bar, poured us out some really friendly guy, uh, great spot, Neon Wilderness. Check it out in uh, Wicker Park. Did you notice how like uh, Neon Wilderness had that like total Instagram wall set up where it had like the, the mm-hmm. skull mm-hmm. and the neon like horns coming off the elk? Everybody and like literally like every girl we were in the yeah. group with was taking a photo in front Selfie of that thing. Central, yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's genius. That's how they're really. spreading the word. Oh, yeah. They only had two pieces of neon in the place. And the neon wilderness comes from short story collection from an author from the 20s, 30s, and 40s who wrote short stories about individuals in Wicker Park. So mm-hmm. it's Nelson Aldridge or something is the, the author's name. Nelson Aldridge it. sounds like a backup power forward in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. But yeah, we had a great time there. Thanks to the owner, Brad, for hooking it up there. Not that he's listening, but that was a great time. Hi, right, Joe. We have our uh, we have our YEEF, our yearly industry ebb and flow that we relate to our restaurant industry. I'm sure you have something throughout your year that's kind of ebb and flow as far as different patterns and things that you have to adjust to and plan for based on the seasons, growing seasons, especially when we're going to talk about this later when you get into where you source your grain from. But for us, uh, me right now, it's the holiday season, preparing for the holiday season and planning holiday parties and also people looking for great bourbon, which has been going on for a little while. I'm in that same boat too. Having a holiday party, there's eight to 12 of us. Can we get a table? Uh, no, but you can. Are they just trying to work around the uh, no reservation yeah, policy? Absolutely. Yeah. So then I sell them, I try to sell them on reserving our entire private party space. And Too expensive. That, that goes, that works about 20% of the time. I got the guy who's, uh, he's like, hey, yeah, uh, yeah. So there's like 15 to 20 of us. I just want to like take over the upstairs for like a couple hours. I'm like, what do you mean a couple hours? You're like, you know, like from three to nine. <laughs> what a holiday party what company is that <laughs> dude that like that deep pockets. it's not gonna happen I sold insurance downtown and our holiday party was an hour long at my boss's house like, there you go I'm working for the wrong people not now but <laughs> <laughs> now I'm working for the right company there you go what's your Eve? oh man Obviously, just bourbon. Like I was telling you at dinner. I mean, it's crazy. Right when that snow hit, it's like sales go up. People Mm. are asking me for whiskey. And we don't make gin or vodka. So, like, the summer is really all based around setting up this time of the year for us. You know, holiday season. We're coming out with a new product. And so, really just supporting that and making sure it's all right in front of people's face. Well, and the snow hits in Wisconsin in, like, October? No, like April. Okay, yeah. (laughs) just doesn't go away yeah so we've got like three winters so there's a first winter which is now second winter which will happen in february and then third winter which happens in the springtime that's incredible there's snow days now in in wisconsin in april wow they got to cancel schools and stuff growing up do you remember it being like that or is that Um, something new that you guys have had to deal with i don't know maybe it's climate change maybe i just don't remember but i know i never got off of school in april for a snow day yeah it was like april fools and then my mom still kicked me out of bed (laughs) (laughs) let's get into talking to joe and learning a little bit about who you are and where you come from and your family which i'm excited about so just kind of give us a little bit of the background stuff about you guys and then we'll go from there yeah i'll give you a, a quick family history so i already mentioned that we're farmers. We've been farming family since 1946 when my grandfather purchased the property that we're still on today, about 20 minutes north of Madison in the Dane DeForest area. So right off of 9094. If anybody's looking for it, you can see it from the highway because the government just built a road through one of our fields one day in the 50s and told us 
this is what's going to happen. So, hmm. so that was all very fun. I wasn't around then, but my dad was, and he wasn't too happy about it. We have primarily raised hybrid seed corn. And essentially what that is, is taking one strain with a favorable trait and combining it with another strain that has another favorable trait, but they're two separate that aren't combined. And so the way that we do that is actually pretty complex and labor intensive. Essentially what we do is we take hybrid A and we plant one row and then we take hybrid B and we plant four rows on either side of it like this. So there's two and two. So I always tell people like if you're having dating problems, like go out in a cornfield because they're always surrounded by four females. (laughs) 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 So then what we do is we got these five rows of corn all planted in a nice little row next to each other. About halfway through the summer, we have a season called detasseling where we'll actually go and manually and mechanically chop off all the tassels of the uh, female corn so that they don't pollinate themselves because all we're going for is the male row to pollinate the female. Hmm. So then a couple months or a couple weeks, I would say, before harvest, we go through and destroy all the male rows because that would also just be um, an inbred of the male row. Yeah, that would be Kentucky bourbon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're in Wisconsin, man. We're we're not rednecks. We're just hicks up in the snow. (laughs) Uh, So then if we do our job correctly, the male row pollinates the female row, and now you have a cross-pollination and a completely new crop that has both favorable traits that the farm is looking for. And so that is what my family has been doing since the mid forties. And honestly, that's how we got into making bourbon. So my dad took a trip down to Kentucky with my mom. I think it was an anniversary gift or something because he's always really liked bourbon. So they went down to Kentucky and you just see this, you know, tons and tons. They have rail cars next to the distillery so they can bring in so much corn in order to make bourbon. And my dad, who's always liked it, who has a lifelong knowledge, he's a master agriculturalist for the state of Wisconsin, which is a pretty prestigious honor. It's only awarded to about four or five farmers a year. And so he wanted to take his knowledge of growing corn and agriculture and producing it at a very high level and applying it to taking those inputs and applying it to creating a very, very high quality output which is whiskey. So we kind of stepped back because we didn't want to just plant the same grains that everybody else was growing. So we wanted to use some unique stuff, which is why I brought this. I don't know if all of our viewers can see it. Yeah, we'll take a picture too and put it up on the website. All right, if you guys cool. want to check that out. Yeah. So this is our mash bill. <laughs> it is, uh, it's primarily a uh, varietal of corn called W225A, which is not a very sexy name for anything <laughs> related to the liquor industry, but we're talking about corn here, so nobody needs to have a sexy corn. But we wanted to do something that's very unique, and my dad remembered growing this uh, on our farm because my grandfather raised it on our property from like the mid-40s until about the mid-70s. Now, it's a non-GMO varietal, which means essentially not to get into too much GMO and agricultural stuff. It just doesn't yield as much as what these more progressive crops were yielding in the 70s. So to put things into perspective, this puts out about 75 bushels per acre, whereas what most people are growing today yields about 200 to 250. Wow. That's not going to be on the test. Nobody needs to know what bushels are but me. (laughs) So it fell completely out of production. Uh, It would have gone extinct, but it was actually a varietal created in 1939 by the UW-Madison in a very similar way to how I described those hybrids that we create. So it was created by their ag research department 
raised, like I said, by my grandfather because we're in the area and it was a really good crop at the time to feed to cattle. And so they held about 1,200 kernels in a temperature and humidity controlled room, which is called a seed vault, just so that they have access to all these different uh, seeds that they've produced over the years, really just for research purposes. Those 1,200 kernels go in in like the mid 70s. They sit there because nobody's going to grow this stuff because it's just so inefficient until 2005, 2006, when my crazy father's coming back from this trip to Kentucky and he's like, I want to use this red corn to make bourbon out of. Nice. But nobody has it except for the university. So luckily they were really, really cool with us creating a value added ag product using the grains grown on uh, our farm. So they gave us, well, they loaned us those 1200 kernels, which is pretty much like what's in this bottle. So as you can see, not a lot to work with. Over the course of three full growing seasons, we turned that 1200 kernels into about 75 acres of corn, um, harvested that all in 2009, and then uh, started growing wheat and rye as well, also from that seed program at UW-Madison. And so now we grow all the wheat, all the rye, all that red corn, and we put our first barrels of whiskey away in 2009. So when, awesome. he, when he went on that bourbon trip down there, did he say that he like learned something down there that sparked something in his mind that say, hey, I can go to like this University of Madison and make something pretty cool with it? I mean, was there like a moment of like, oh man, I got to do this? I think uh, he probably drank a lot. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he probably drank a lot. I and, just want to make my own. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like... You, you drink a lot of whiskey on those tours, and because he's been surrounded by corn his entire life, he just thought, you know, I've got all this corn out in these fields. Like, why can't I do this? And that was really the inspiration is like, maybe we can do it better. Let's see what we can do. Let's see what we got. And that's how the entire story started. Cool. Well, I don't think he's wrong on any of those accounts. So. Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I guess, I guess the elephant in the room is, have you ever paid back medicine, those kernels? Yeah, we had to the first year. All right, <laughs> so good. they still got them. So people always say like, oh, well, I could recreate your brand. I'm like, all right, good go, luck. Go for it. Go for it. You want to yeah. take eight years to remake this? <laughs> like, yeah. have fun. In all the, the bourbon world that we've been in, I just don't, you don't hear of stories of where it like starts with you don't the hear farm. That part. Yeah. It's such a unique story, and for it to only be what two and a half hours away from us, that's that's well. And fantastic. I think most of the distilleries they don't like the farming part. That's not my problem. That's some. That's I'm, I'm buying that. Else's. I'm buying that grain. They're the farmers, right? I mean, so th this is from beginning to end, yep. literally in the whole process from farm the bottle. Yeah, yeah. That's, at, that's at its awesome. essence, I mean everything that we're gonna drink tonight and all, all whiskeys that you'll buy uh, are are starting as this these grains. They got to come from somewhere. Shout out to all the local farmers, all farmers in general. I mean, we wouldn't be able to eat. We wouldn't be able to drink. We wouldn't have really anything true. without our farmers. So Very true. If you got local farmers in your area, support them because they feed you. <laughs> and so yeah. Yeah, make sure they're taken care of. Yeah, that's great, man. So your family wants to get into the bourbon industry. What yeah. is the next step you guys take, right? Your dad comes back from that trip, and he's like, we can do this, right? Yep. And uh, I think you said in your first batch was ready in like 2009? Yeah, so one other thing that, uh, that we really wanted to focus on is we thought it was very important to start with really high-quality grains. And because the majority of what we do is still tied up in farming equipment, and to be honest, my dad is a very savvy 
very conservative guy. So we didn't buy our own still for the main reason that we wanted to age everything for a full five years. And the hump that we saw that a lot of producers get into is if they spend a few million dollars on a still, they got to start coming out with stuff pretty quickly just for cash flow. And, you know, we get it. And that's kind of why we wanted to, we wanted to wait a little bit longer. So 45th Parallel in New Richmond, Wisconsin, still distills all of our spirits. And we're extremely happy with them. If you ever have the opportunity to try it, I know you've got a bottle of Border Bourbon up here. Great stuff. Those guys are, you know, they've been our yeah, fantastic. Been there. Yeah, they're cool. They've been I had great. no idea that they were distilling your, your juice, though. Yeah, they distill they everything. They didn't tell us that. Well, I don't know. They want to sell their own stuff, too, you know? <laughs> they do, like, a whole bunch of different stuff, right, for uh, other They companies. do a lot of contract yeah. distilling yeah, yeah. Um, because that's another cash flow thing for them yeah, is for why sure. they're able to put away. I think the youngest bourbon they ever came out with was four or five years old. Yep. And a lot of people, you know, you can't do that when you've got million dollars in debt riding on you so they contract is still for a couple other companies you're gonna have to talk to them uh i don't know exactly like their portfolio but are those direct competitors with you guys just no, because of no really okay you see that swag when you said that they're yeah, not competitors no but but i don't, <laughs> I don't you know if you guys are in the same market they're our friends i <laughs> yeah. mean uh you guys are all a family right i mean you're all, yeah, you're all on the same much. team yeah we're all on the same team i mean in all honesty i consider everybody that's in the craft industry somewhat of a partner because we're really all going up against against the bigger companies. When you think about where 95% of the whiskey comes from in America, it all comes from Kentucky. So anybody in Illinois, anybody in Minnesota, anybody in Wisconsin that's producing high quality bourbon is really just given a better name to the entire craft industry as a whole. So I would much rather people just keep making good stuff closer to home and make good stuff so that people are willing to try and buy another bottle of another craft whiskey or craft spirits or craft vodka or anything like that. That is a great response. Have you ever said that before? Or is that's off the cuff, off the man. Cuff? Dude, that's great, <laughs> man. No, that, that, honestly, that makes me want to like yeah, drink Illinois and Wisconsin yeah. and Minnesota yeah. uh, whiskey. You want to support the hometown heroes, Absolutely, man. man. That's cool, man. That's, that's really cool. So your first batch was ready in 2009. To be, to be barreled and aged. Yep. Did you know you wanted to age for five years at the start or were you tasting along the way and then you're just like, oh, at this five-year mark, this is our mark, we got to do it here? So, uh, I mean, you're That's all familiar question. with like the different age distinctions of bourbon. So like two years is straight, right. four years you don't need an age statement. I don't necessarily know that. So if all right. my question was off base. <laughs> no, 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 no. If you were a part of any of the podcasts before this, you would know that. <laughs> That's true. I guess two different levels of aging in bourbon are to be a straight bourbon, you need to be in a barrel or a new charred white oak container for a minimum of two years. Then when you're in four years or older, you don't need to put an age statement on the bottle, which more or less signifies to your consumer that this is of good quality because it's over four years old. My dad took that just being, you know, the, the high quality guy that he is, is like, you know what, screw that. We're just going to go for five years and put it in the barrel for an extra five and wait. So, that's awesome. Yeah, that's like, really like how that. it ended up that's happening. Awesome. <laughs> He's just like, screw it. We're just going to wait another year. That's great, man. So what was it like then constantly pumping things into barrels for five years, not selling an ounce? I mean, I was like, 14 so yeah I, I didn't notice it at all my friends were just like that's good on your parents then like right? yeah they did this pretty much all independently which i'm so proud of them for they really thought the whole business model through very very long and when you when you do have time like that to be patient essentially you have five full years to develop our plan develop our labeling and our packaging this is kind of a funny story about my mom actually when it 
turned, I think, four years old. He uh, came into the kitchen one day, and my mom was sitting there, and he's like, hey, so I got all this whiskey. Like, how are you going to sell it? <laughs> You've got six months to figure it out. Yeah, that's how she tells it. I think he'll tell it a different way, but I believe her somewhat. <laughs> so you guys obviously have a massive plot of land for your, mm-hmm. for your family farm. Do you guys have your rec house on that same plot? Yeah, so our first rick house was actually a dairy barn that we were kind of just using as storage. So we've never had cattle on the property, but the building that we used was over 100 years old. It came with the original purchase of the property and they had dairy cattle in there and we were just storing equipment. And so we moved all that equipment out. It's actually on the back of the bottle. Nice. This is our 100 year old dairy barn Rick house. And uh, kind of a funny question. What do you think cows and whiskey have in common to, you know, survive? Corn, grain. Well, they both needed air. Dang it. <laughs> Whiskey. So yeah. whiskey. there's there's oh. a lot of really good airflow that goes through that building. We're cut that whole part out, right, no. Tammy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think of something funny, and I couldn't. I got nothing on that one. Just, next time, I'm, I'm not saying anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Garrett? <laughs> I know there was going to be a test. Nobody say a word. Let's talk more about the rack houses. Yeah. Okay. So you, yeah, said, yeah. you said yeah. one? You got two rack houses? So we the first building that we started with was, uh, like, like I said, a 100-year-old dairy barn, a lot of really good airflow. Yeah. What we found and how that benefits us in making whiskey is in Wisconsin, we just have crazy volatile temperatures. I mean, yeah. if you think about Kentucky as sort you of the, three, you have three winners. Yeah, three winners. I'd already talked about that. It's insane. So if you think about like the baseline being Kentucky and how their whiskey ages, they never really get that cold, which is good because it's active pretty much all year round. Floods, yes. Yeah, floods, yes. Fires sometimes. Tornadoes. (laughs) Tornadoes occasionally. But essentially what happens is it starts out pretty mid-temperature, you know, like maybe 40s, 50s in January, and then it kind of slowly creeps up to now you're getting to like in the hundreds over the summertime. And then it kind of slowly climbs back down. And so what's happening to the barrels in those rick houses is as it gets warmer, the barrels are slowly expanding, opening up, the pores are opening and allowing more of that whiskey to seep into those pores. And then they're kind of slowly tapering off, slowly closing out and extracting all that flavor. And so what we have is even though it's only kind of hot enough, maybe seven or eight months out of the year, but we've got temperatures flying all over the place. So it will be, you know, 80 degrees in April and people will be going to the beach and then it'll snow the next day and they cancel school. They got to get the snow plows out of hibernation. <laughs> and while it sucks for all of us, it's actually really great for the bourbon because it expands and contracts, expands and contracts, and you get all that flavor extraction happening like throughout the year. That's awesome. And you guys, we talk a lot of this before, when, you, when it gets hot out, the whiskey goes into the barrel and then when it gets cold, the whiskey goes back into the barrel and mm-hmm. then... A lot of places in Kentucky, that means that the proof will actually grow inside of the the barrel. But you guys lose proof. Is that right? We're we're in kind of an anomaly of a location, actually, where even over five years, so we, we try and barrel everything at around 120 proof. After five years, we're not losing or gaining anything. That's nuts. It's it's pretty crazy that the the proof is relatively consistent, but also our yields are are relatively high as well. Hmm. Yeah, so you have very low evaporation evaporation rates, right? <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So like a barrel of Kentucky bourbon that you know will lose maybe eight to twelve percent a year um, because it gets so hot. We're probably losing like twelve to sixteen percent over five full years. Wow. 
Yeah. So when we were in Kentucky, yeah. we had those Blanton barrels. Right. Those were two thirds full after six years. Right. After six years, he's going to have eighty percent left. That's awesome. Yeah. Exactly. And then those twenty-three year old pappies are going to be five gallons left in each barrel left over. That's why it's so expensive. He's going to have. I don't know. We don't have a twenty-three-year-old product yet. But I would imagine you'd have very <laughs> yeah. very similar to seventy percent full. Yeah, I would hope so. I would assume. Yeah. Don't try it. <laughs> keep pouring it because I want to drink it. Yeah. <laughs> keep, uh, speaking of keep pouring it because we want to drink it. Can we try it. something? Yeah, I'd definitely. love to try something. I don't want to. Well, let's, let's keep rolling on the interview while we're drinking because mm-hmm. I feel like my glass evaporated in my mouth. Yeah, let's talk and, about uh, this. And let's, I'm going <laughs> to keep pumping gla- questions at you as we try the, yeah. the small batch. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the bottles while you're pouring it real quick. Very sexy looking bottles. The design looks really nice. I understand that you used a uh, local, staying with the local theme, local uh, marketing firm for your all your design work uh, yeah liz henry is our local marketing firm oh, that's my mom so. <laughs> <laughs> so liz my mother i call her liz sometimes but um my so mom she, would be furious yeah if I called I, her by her first name. well you don't work with her so it's kind of it's a little more professional i guess some people i look like kind of a child if i just am like mom where's the bourbon at <laughs> good point mom good how's point. third quarter sales going yeah <laughs> Mom, Mom, did I make my bonus this yeah, month? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> did I have my treat? <laughs> but she handles she handles most of all of the tastings, right? And like Um, so right now we're we're still very, very family run. I mean, nearly entirely. So my dad still completely runs the farm, also manages the bourbon company. Uh Liz does hundred percent of the marketing. She designed all of our labels, all of our bottle shape. She does a lot of just other marketing, like doing all the press releases and stuff like that. And then I do a lot of the sales work. So I'm the boots on the ground for the three states that we're in, uh, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Minnesota. Was it hard um, to get that job? Yeah, they. I had to work at Sell Insurance for three to, years to get it. Did you have to interview hard? <laughs> yeah. They, my dad was like, we don't want you right out of college because you're just an <laughs> alcoholic and you're probably going to kill yourself if you're selling whiskey all day. So he, uh, he made me go off on my own. I sold insurance in downtown Chicago for a company called Cigna. Learned a lot about sales and the sales process. And then I was like, all right, dad, I think I'm ready. Let me back in. It's time, oh, right? That's cool. All right, well, beautiful to the, to the small batch. Cheers, cheers. You want to give us like a fifteen-second rundown on this? Yeah, this is our flagship product. It's a minimum five-year bourbon, so everything we do is minimum five years. It's a small batch blend, so we truly only use sixteen barrels in our blend, and then we proof those down to forty-six percent or ninety-two proof. So this is our five-year small batch bourbon. That's great, man. And small batch is real. Sixteen barrels is. Not a lot. Yeah. We started with, I think, eight. And so we've slowly kind of crept up. But I think having a larger one is nicer. So there's a couple of things. You can kind of control the flavor a little bit more that way. Yeah, it's a little more consistent. You can kind of layer stuff in a little bit better. If you have a bigger blend, you're going to get more consistent. Totally agree. Yeah. That's good. Got good flavor. Yeah, I think this is a really nice bourbon. Yeah, easy drinking. One thing I'll mention is all of our bourbons are four grain. So 60% corn, 14 wheat, 14 rye. We grow all of those on our farm. And then 12% malted barley that we get from northern Wisconsin. Which is a pretty high percentage if you're talking malted barley with whiskey. Yeah, that's extremely high. And I think we have to use that much barley as that enzymatic power grain because there's so much starch in these old heirloom grains. So I'm getting a nice nice sweetness off of this. Yeah. This is really good. Thank you. What, what? Do, you, what do you attribute the sweetness from? This is where I, I attribute so much 
thought and process into uh, how much care my dad and my mom put into this is uh, a lot of bourbons that you'll taste in the industry are going to be, you know, three grain mash bill. So obviously high percentage of corn and then using wheat or rye as their flavor grain. So wheat will be kind of on that sweeter side. Rye will be more on the spicy side. And we just wanted to be unique. We wanted to be a little bit more complex and you know, we're Wisconsinites, so we just want everybody to drink together. So we That's put great. both of them in there. <laughs> so we, them up. we've got a little bit of that sweet wheat, a little bit of that spicy rye, and then the corn just kind of wraps everything together. Perfect. It's, it's nice and balanced for me. I just have a quick separate question about the, the red heirloom corn yeah, totally. that I was reading about. I was reading something about that corn particularly provides more starch, but leads to more sugars or more sweetness. Yeah. So the one the one thing that I can kind of compare this to, and everybody always asks me like, what's the biggest flavor difference between using our red corn versus yellow number two dent corn, which is what most of the other people use to make bourbon. Like ninety five percent. Yeah, like pretty much everybody. And because we've never distilled with it, I can't really tell you. So. What I do know is that when you're talking about these grains, this the corn only has so much energy. So like the corn stalk can only get so much energy from the soil, so much energy from the sun in order to produce those kernels. And so when GMOs came around in the 70s and that whole craze hit, the focus was really on producing a high volume of product so that you could feed essentially more cows with less acreage. So what, what ends up happening to the individual kernel is because the corn stalk is focusing on producing such a vast number of corn, it doesn't produce as high a quality of individual kernels. It just mm. produces so many more of them. So if you look at this compared to like a regular yellow corn, it's going to be a lot bigger and kind of denser. And so that's what we've found kind of just in comparison is while most commercially produced corns today are just focused on producing the highest volume of kernels, this, because it's so old, is still focused on producing the highest quality of individual kernel. So you have a higher starch content, higher protein content, and it's a lot richer in fatty acids. Mm -hmm. And so that's where you're going to get a lot. I think, like I'm not a scientist by any means. Uh, I flunked out of OCHEM in college, so <laughs> <laughs> I can't talk too much on it. But what we found is you just have a higher quality, denser, a more nutrient dense uh, varietal of corn. Gotcha. Let's try the next one. On to the next. So this is our Bellefontaine Reserve. Okay. What's what's the difference between this and the, the small batch? So our Bellefontaine Farms was actually the original family farm that my great-grandfather purchased when he emigrated over here from southeastern France. Okay. So he named the farm after an artisanal spring that was on the property that he used to irrigate his crops with. So Bellefontaine means beautiful fountain in French. So this is really an effort to tie our Wisconsin bourbon to our French heritage. So we take our five-year cask strength bourbon, put it into cognac barrels that we get shipped over from France, uh, and we finish it for about eight months. One other aspect that we're trying to stay true to our French roots is, is we uh, do a process called slow reduction proofing, which is wildly this is really really awesome by the yeah. way this is very unique <laughs> yeah. everybody everyone, listen up everyone put your put your phones down <laughs> that's right drink listen up listen up yep pay Pull attention over. <laughs> turn the volume up don't want anybody crashing 
So essentially what this is, is normal proofing that takes place for any whiskey is really done for a couple of different reasons. You're, you're going to add water to your base spirit to get a consistent proof because these barrels, as they age, they're kind of going to all go all over the place. You're going to get different proofs. And then when you blend them, you really want a consistent product. So then you add water to get it to a consistent proof and flavor profile. Like with our small batch, it's always going to be 46% and we're blending it to get it to that consistency. The other reason is you actually extend the amount of product in your barrel. So you go from being able to sell, let's say 100 bottles to now you can sell 150 bottles because you've add water to yeah, your money, product. money. It's all about money at the end yeah. of the day. <laughs> but so that's what 90% or I would say 99.99% of the people do in the bourbon industry is to get to that consistency and flavor profile and also extend your yields a little bit. So this slow reduction process kind of combines those aspects without diluting the final flavor profile of your product. Because if you add water to any whiskey, you're going to eventually just dilute the final flavor. And so what we do to counteract that is we, instead of using regular water to proof this down, when we dump some of our used bourbon barrels, because we can't reuse them, that's just the bourbon law, we'll actually refill them about halfway with water, fortify that water to about 30% alcohol, and then age that water in our ex-bourbon casks for about three years. Now we have something called petite eau, which just means little water in French. And we use that petite eau to slowly reduce the proof of our Bellefontaine while it's sitting in that cognac cask. So luckily I'm out on the road. So my little brother's the one that has to do this, but he'll pour a full gallon of petite eau directly into that cognac barrel and then measure the proof out a week later and see, okay, it went from 119 to 118.5. Then we'll add another gallon and now it's 118. That's and then crazy. We'll slowly keep on adding <clears throat> that petite O throughout that eight month finishing process to get it to its desired proof, which is right around 100 to 105. What an amazing process. That's, a, that's, an, that's, that's, that's an insane that's process, right? I love it. I yeah. absolutely love everything of that. Yeah. As someone who's filled whiskey barrels and let them sit for... Uh, nine months and then mm -hmm. taking that water and made simple syrup out of it just for the flavor of it just to put that back into the product that i now get to drink is incredible i love it did we mention that this bellefontaine reserve won double gold at the san francisco spirits what oh, year what no. year johnny did we mention that i don't we, think did we did not 2017 so, uh, so the sales the, the head sales boots and the ground guy didn't bring up the fact that it won <laughs> the double awards. gold at the only competition that we care about <laughs> i didn't know you cared about that one that's we the do. only one oh, that's well, the only one we say follow, anything yeah. yeah so we've submitted anything we've submitted all of our products except the new release we've gotten a i think a silver with the small batch and then a double gold in back-to-back -back years with the Patent Road, which we're going to try next, and the Bellefontaine. Do you know how the judging works? Isn't there like 500 judges and they all decide which one's best and which one's not? Yeah. And, so essentially then, you have a gold medal winner and all the judges in your category have to consecutively decide for a few double gold medals. And every judge has to unanimously decide that you're a double gold winner. So everybody gives you a gold medal. It goes the second medal. round of judging, right? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like a bonus round. We're talking about a company that did their first bottling in 2015. 2000, yeah. yeah. And two years later, double they gold win twice double gold. So in a row. That's <laughs> yeah. just a testament to the attention to detail that your family puts into this business. Yeah, thank yeah. you. 
Yeah, yeah. so 2016, we won it in our Patton Road. Is no, that, 2017. Is that what's next? Yeah, so 2015 was our first bottling. Let's pour it. Um, Let's taste that one. Of our small batch. And then 2017 was actually our first release of Patton Road Reserve. So we were very, very fortunate to win that. And then 2018 was our first release of Bellefontaine. And that's where we won the uh, the double gold for that one. So yeah, thank you, thank you for the uh, the accolades, San Francisco. Yeah, don't think us. Like to, I'd like to comment on, on how steady Joe's pores are right now. Yeah, they're all off, even. His hand isn't shaking. Yeah, absolutely. I don't I know do how this, you're doing. I it. do this a lot. That's great, man. <laughs> so, well, so does Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers to the Patton Road. This Cheers. is Patton Road, right? <laughs> double gold. Double, double gold. gold. No more double golds. So, so how, how readily available is this now? So you won these awards. So like a lot of other products like Henry McKenna have won big time double gold awards and then all of a sudden you can't find them anymore. How available is this product? I mean, we're still really small. So that's an international competition. We're only in Wisconsin, Illinois, Minnesota. No one's listening outside of that. So you're good. How available is it to people who are listening to this? <laughs> Sorry. You gonna cut that? <laughs> No, it's funny. No, we're keeping that. It's in. funny. All right, sweet. Well, hang on. I'd like to redirect that that con that comment, Johnny. We have international oh, yeah, listeners. There's, there's a couple Australian. Actually, we do. We do. So oh, hang on, perfect. Hang on. Yeah, it's probably like ten. Yeah, fifteen like consistent listeners from oh, like Europe, sweet. Australia, it, Italy has downloads. Italy. I'm so- Canada has down. Canada Australia. Has, Canada has like five. Yeah, I want to retract we have some my list. statement. Yeah, please. 100%. 100%. percent i am very sorry. Thank you. Can you look? Oh, you can't look, look up states, right? No, okay. unfortunately, our annual plan doesn't allow for that. <laughs> how, okay, so how can the people around here find it? And then how can the people who are out of the country contact us for me to send them a bottle? There you go. Locally, we sell at mostly... A lot of major retailers, so... But is it, is it available to purchase? It's relatively available. The biggest issue that we're coming across right now is five years ago when we started this company, it was really kind of a, a hobby project for my dad and our family. I always joke that my mom just wouldn't let him buy a Porsche, so he started making whiskey. Because <laughs> it's way safer, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> well, driving a Porsche in Wisconsin is not a terrible idea, right? I mean, all that snow. It's a terrible idea. Yeah. yeah. So this is way safer. You just set it there and leave it. So what we are coming across right now is a, a bit of lack of supply with increased demand because five years ago, we just were making this stuff more or less for ourselves and our friends and to sell around. And because we've won some of these awards, some of this international recognition, we've slowly started to increase our production. And now because our demand outpaces what we have put away five years ago, we really just made a decision as a family to not sell everybody three and four year old bourbon and kind of stick to our guns. So if you find a bottle of this at any of your major retailers, I would say buy it up because it's it's not as readily available as it once was. This patent road is unbelievable. Crazy delicious. I'm getting caramel and vanilla notes. Just enough spice mm. in the front end to let you know that it's whiskey, but then it's, it's super smooth and sweet in the end. What's the the retail price on a bottle of Patton Road if you can come across it? Around seventy seventy to eighty dollars. Worth Buy it. it. Worth Buy it for a cask strength bottle. Worth this it. particular hundred percent. This particular bottle is uh, hundred and twenty proof. I have one. Wow, one. that is so smooth for hundred and twenty. Get out of my life. So smooth. No, when you said the 120 proof, I was thinking like maybe 100. There's it's little, really, it's little, really smooth. There's a titch, little on, to on the no, back of the, yeah, little on the, on the back. What's your heart, what's your it's called a, it's called a nice Wisconsin zero hug. Zero heartburn. Yeah, yeah. called the Wisconsin hug. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's so you're right. Wisconsin hug? Yeah. yeah, like that. It's like right here. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Right. Mm. <laughs> it's called the Madison hug. Mm. Well, when you think about uh, when all the flavor is coming from the alcohol extracting esters and wood sugars out of the wood. So if you keep your alcohol in balance with those esters and those flavors, that's when you're going to really come across some really high, high proof, but high flavor and really beautiful whiskeys. We just tried your three mainstream mainline products. Yeah. All of them delicious. Thank you guys. Unique to the bourbon world, in my opinion, is what I would put it. Complex, flavorful, and you get the the four grain mix in there very nicely. Thank you. So first and foremost, thanks for coming on with us, dude. I've had a great time. This is a blast. Love it. Thank you so much for bringing your products on here. Thank you. Thanks for bringing me on. The Patent Road is my favorite. That's so good. Really love it. It's dynamite. What we have here, though, is a couple extra special special bottles that you brought uh, that we didn't get to review that we're actually going to hold back for a little snippet, a little tidbit, a little special specialty release J. Henry bourbons that are not necessarily available right now. We'll taste through in a kind of our very reserved premium line. We don't come out with these very often, but when we do, we really put a lot of time and care and effort and thought into them. So what we're going to try is a Patton Road single barrel cask strength seven year. Um, So an extra two years in the barrel from what we just uh, finished up on. And then the next we're going to dive into is because 2019 in December was when we put our first barrels away. We're coming up on our 10th anniversary uh, in the next couple of weeks here. And so I personally put together along with our blender and consultant, Nancy Fraley, who if you're not familiar with her, she is a huge talent. She works with a lot of craft whiskeys. Anything she touches turns to gold. <laughs> um, it's so, true. Yeah, seriously, look her up. Try some of her whiskey. She's done a lot of good work with a lot of good people. And she's really just a, a beautiful and amazing person to work with. And so us together in celebration of our 10th anniversary are coming out with our first J. Henry anniversary blend, 2019 limited edition. And so that's going to be something that we'll taste and talk about in a little bit here. Cool. Check out that YouTube video. We're going to release it pretty quickly. We will let you know if these products become available to you, but we're going to let you know how you can get a get a hold of them at our restaurants uh, when we get them. Once again, Joe, thanks for coming on, man. Great oh, time. Yeah. Anybody who's in the North Madison, Wisconsin area, yep. check out Jay Henry. All great products. Listen, if you're going to go skiing, coming from Chicago, going up north, right? Yeah. Yep. There's a great possibility that you drive past Jay Henry. Yep. Stop. Please. It's worth go. it. Go. <laughs> Please follow us on social media, uh, J. Henry Wisconsin Straight Bourbon uh, on Facebook and J. Henry Bourbon on Instagram. If you ever want to schedule a tour, we're just jhenryandsons.com. Pretty close to Chicago and right close to Madison. That's awesome. Local, dynamite product, family-oriented. What else do you want? Good dudes. Just good dudes. (laughs) Hanging out, drinking some bourbon. Thanks for coming on, brother. (laughs) Thank you very much. Really appreciate it, guys. Cheers. First of all, we'd like to thank all of our listeners, families, and friends that support us throughout this. We couldn't do this without you. Subscribe to us on iTunes and check out exclusive content at our website, SippingSocialPodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook. If you like this podcast, tell your friends about us. A huge thank you to our producer, John, in the Underground Studio. A shout out to our boy, Johnny Perona and Davenport Ed. That's the rockin' music you're hearing in the background. Thanks again, and we look forward to the next cocktail with you.
Can we go back up to question number two? Sure. The very one. I just want to read it out loud. Tell us a little about your mom. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Let's lead into that somehow a little bit more. <laughs> Let me explain that question. It's actually a really good question. I know it I is. It, I, I, um, I know where you're going with this. Yeah, I mean, like... You, These guys are assholes. Yeah, we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah, Garrett's the asshole. I didn't uh, say anything. You're going to cut that out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's right. getting cut out. That's so funny. <laughs> Maybe just phrase it like, so what What are the roles no, just, that the no, rest can, of your family can, plays? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But just a really funny. Well, you have <laughs> to really read the rest st- of it. Obviously, yeah. Totally take it out of context. But just to have six You're the only one. Letters. You're the only one. Right. So six letters. Right, reel so it funny. in. Reel it in. 